Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Draft Site Podcast. I don't even remember what number it is because it's been so many now. DJ's podcast, he was all by himself last week. He broke records. He did a full seven round mock draft going through every single pick. It was quite amazing. He was giving us detail on, on the teams and their preferences and then the players themselves all the way into the seventh round. So if you're a big mock draft nut like we are, and I assume you are if you're listening to this podcast, go check DJ's podcast, number nine, I think it was. And here we are today, number 10, Happy New Year. Hope everyone's break was good. And uh, today we have a lot of exciting things to talk about. We're going to talk about the college football playoffs. We're going to talk about the NFL playoffs, and then we're going to segue into the NFL mock draft, 2015 NFL draft. A lot of changes at the top. I think if you listen to this podcast, you'll be on your way to being the next scout of the uh, Oakland Raiders. I was going to say lots of declarations as well. We had uh, we just updated the uh, draft site uh, website with two more official declarations, and we're now up to 50 underclassmen in the draft. Shane Ray of Missouri has officially thrown his name in the hat, not a surprise. Jesse James, tight end of Penn State, kind of a surprise. I had him rated as the top tight end for next year with the abysmal year that Christian Hackenberg had. I thought that him coming back and cementing his stats and being the top tight end for next year was the way to go, but he's thrown his hat into the ring as of about an hour ago. So we are up to date, 50 names on the underclassmen list. I think given the lack of depth at tight end, Makes makes that decision easy for some of the top tight end prospects, right? Well, it is kind of a down year, but uh, for for him, I, I thought Jesse James had a chance to be a first round pick next year. So um, we just slid him into the uh, the mock draft, and of course, well, that's a segue into later. We'll see where he actually slides in for for this one. So we've got an up to the date mock draft that was updated about uh, six minutes ago. Draftsite.com/slash/NFL will take you right there. DJ, who uh, who are some of the big surprises of the underclassmen that declared in your eyes? Well, I think the Jesse James thing was kind of a big surprise. His teammate as well, Donovan Smith, uh, the the offensive lineman. We've seen a couple of people actually leave from Florida as well. A lot of wide receivers are actually coming out early. Um, I was a little bit surprised about the Stephon Diggs. He's got all the talent, the wide receiver from, from Maryland. Uh, but the fact that... Uh, you know, it's such a it's a little bit deeper at wide receiver. It's not like tight end as we just talked about, where a player like Tyler Croft, who uh, declared from Rutgers University, who didn't really have the numbers this year, but I thought that he was a basically he was my number one tight end going into next year. He declared, and then it was Jesse James, and he's declared. So we're going to see who's left now. Uh, and of course, Farrell Brown suffering that devastating injury for Oakland. So a lot of the the tight end class is really looking thin for next year. We've got some some people who can really kind of jump up and make some noise. But uh, I was really uh, surprised by a couple a couple of those names. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple people kind of holding out. Andrews Pete, who's kind of going back and forth. And that's a, a big name. I think the offensive tackle position is going to be next. Him or Ronnie Stanley from, from Notre Dame. I think those two right there, if they declare, uh, could be the, the top two. I, in my eyes, probably second and third. I still think Brandon Scherf from Iowa is going to be the top um, tackle in this draft. He had a chance to declare last year and went back to school. So I think uh, the chips might uh, kind of fall right there to see if, if one or if both or if none of these uh, those two prospects actually 
declared the offensive line position, that's going to uh, really, really make a big impact at the top of the draft board. Zach, what about you? Any surprises in your eyes? Jesse uh, James was a surprise to me. Penn State, anybody from Penn State is going to be their first year being bowl eligible, so I thought everyone would want to stick around. Uh, I was surprised that uh, Connor Cook stayed, and uh, I'm really surprised as an Ohio State fan, Noah Spence, who uh, is probably the highest-touted recruit that Urban Myers had in his tenure at Ohio State, decided to go uh, to declare after being uh, ruled ineligible and suspended for the year this year. So that's somebody that really only has one season worth of game tape that has declared for the NFL draft. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. But other than that, uh, you know, you can't, you can never be surprised when even up to 70 underclassmen declare for the draft because that's just the nature of the NFL now. Zach, now with your Ohio State Buckeyes playing the Oregon Ducks in the finals, any players that you think will declare after that game? The beautiful thing about being an Ohio State fan is literally all almost all of their impact players are true sophomores and will be ineligible for the draft next year. So when you look at guys like Jalen Marshall, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Eli Apple, Vaughn Bell, Rayquan McMillan, these are all guys that are going to be, you know, juniors or, or younger. But uh, out of the eligible players, uh, I say, I'd say keep an eye on Michael Bennett. It'll be interesting to see where Duran Grant goes. And uh, I'm interested to see, especially after he runs his 40-yard dash time, uh, where uh, Devin Smith goes the wide receiver who's averaging like 40 yards a catch. Well, I want to throw another name in there because we just talked about the offensive tackles. And depending at the top of the draft, if if one or two of those guys that we mentioned, Ronnie Stanley uh, does not declare, or Andrews Pete, who really is kind of on the fence right now, maybe even a Taylor Decker uh, out of Ohio State, possibility there, someone who I thought could really cement his draft status for next year is a very high prospect, probably about a second rounder. But if some of these top tackles don't come out, we just talked about the it being a little bit thin at, at tight end. Taylor Decker, who's actually uh, played pretty well down the stretch, maybe uh, his stock rises enough where actually he tip, dips his toes into the waters as well. How about how about on Oregon? Anyone from there, BJ? Unfortunately, uh, you know, the, the biggest person would have been Farrell Brown, who I thought again with a, with a weak tight end class that uh, we would have seen something there. Uh, it's it's really a shame you look at a player like a uh, uh, Prealamu who really surprised a lot of people when he came back for a senior season, uh, was a finalist uh, at the uh, cornerback position for the Jim Thorpe Award, and unfortunately, before the uh, Florida State game actually tears his ACL, he's still going to be a high draft pick. I think it's going to knock him out of the first round, obviously. Um, we, I've, I've currently got him as a third-round pick. I think a lot of people will be clamoring as, as far as where to take him, but uh, that, that, that's kind of the, the sad story on the Oregon, on the Oregon front. Uh, but as far as other people to declare, not not a whole lot there. They've had a – Oregon's kind of like Texas. They've had a pretty good track record of people coming out. Well, aside from Marcus Mariota, everyone's expecting him to come out. I mean, he was actually eligible last year as a as a redshirt sophomore, but now being a junior, winning the Heisman. And if he does go out on top and win that national championship, I think that's the foregone conclusion. I got my eye on Eric Armstead. Eric Armstead hasn't officially declared yet, but he's got really everything you need. Uh, he can play five technique in the NFL. He, he really can line up almost anywhere on the defensive line apart from uh, no, nose tackle. But, uh, I mean, it's a guy that's an absolute monster at 6'8", 290. Uh, a junior hasn't officially declared yet, but, uh, I mean, if you watch the Florida State game, you know how involved he is in the defense. So it'll be very uh, interesting to see uh, if he declares and if he does declare. He'll be part of a, a pretty stacked defensive line. 
this is why it's good to have two people here because I totally just blanked on Eric Armstead. I've actually got him in the second round in the draft, so uh, I think he will declare. Um, he's still very raw, but like you said, just overall size and, and strength, he's, uh, there, there's just uh, there's a multitude of places he can actually line up. So uh, he's played inside, he's played outside. He's even he's even actually dropped into coverage a number of times. It's amazing when you look at the film. They've actually put him into coverage. It's uh, you know, try try dinking the ball over a six foot eight lineman. That's uh, that's not very easy to do. And I think he'll be if he comes out, he'll be higher than a second round pick because, like you said, the versatility and the fact is when you watch him chase down a screen pass or just his per, his, his pursuit, it's for somebody that's close to three hundred pounds, it, it doesn't make sense. And I, I feel like if you put him, I, there's no way that he gets by the Eagles because you know Chip Kelly likes him. I would ask Zach, but I kind of know his answer. DJ, who's winning this game on January 12th? I'm going to have to stick with Oregon just because that was my preseason pick. Um, not a lot of people gave Ohio State a chance to even be here, but at the, at the same time, if if Oregon or anyone else actually sleeps on Ohio State, uh, it could be a very, very long night. There, there looked to be a number of matchups that were kind of in uh, Florida State's favor, and it, it's amazing just the flow of the game and how that really changed with those turnovers. Dalvin Cook with a couple of key fumbles. You know, Oregon was winning the game, but at the same time, Florida State was kind of – they were right there. They were in striking distance, and we've seen them well, come from behind nine times this year. They had trailed uh, beyond the, the first quarter in games and seven times at halftime. So I think there was that, that sense where everyone was waiting for Oregon to have to, to kind of put the pedal to the metal because if, if Florida State's just kind of lingering in the weeds, everyone just kind of expects them to win. And turnover after turnover happened in – and the unthinkable, just uh, Oregon never stopped scoring. They probably still keep scoring if uh, you know they hadn't uh, thought there'd be a mercy rule or something there. After a while, it was it was really getting difficult to watch. And Florida State just everything just unraveled at once. Like you said, you know what I'm going to say. Um, I'm not going to go out and say that Ohio State is going to definitely beat Oregon, even though truly in my heart I believe that I think they're they are going to beat Oregon. I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to do it not incredibly convincingly, but convincingly. Uh, What's crazy to me is that they're a seven-point favorite. I can almost understand Alabama being, you know, it opened up at nine points, ended up going down to 7.5 points. But, I mean, if you look at Ohio State and the way the roster is constructed, they're all five-star recruits. To say that uh, an Oregon team that has lesser recruits, and a lot of people could argue a lesser coaching staff should be a seven-point favorite, it's basically just on the fact that Marcus Mariota is hands down the best player in college football. But when you look at what... uh, Cardell Jones did against Alabama, and you look at what he did against Wisconsin, who showed that they weren't a joke of a team when they beat Auburn in their bowl game, that, I mean, Ohio State can play, and they match up very, very well. It reminds me of a lot of the 2010 Rose Bowl when Ohio State played Oregon, and it was Helfrich who was the offense coordinator. They had Jeremiah Masoli, and although it was a diff- completely different Buckeye regime, the type of athletes that Ohio State recruits match up well to this spread defense. They got depth. They got depth pretty much – all the positions they need. So uh, I think uh, if they can run the ball and, and hold on to the ball for, for longer than Florida State did, they got a great chance of winning. The only thing I'm really upset about is the uniforms that they will be wearing. They will be wearing a uniform that involves no green or no yellow, which kills me because the contrast of the green and yellow with the scarlet and gray, I think, is, it was perfect. The fact that they're, they're going to, if you haven't seen the jerseys they're going to wear, they're wearing all gray and white jerseys, and that baffles my mind because it, it would have been a beautiful, beautiful balance of color on the screen, and I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to look a little ridiculous, but we'll see. I've only seen the renderings. And, and what a luxury to have. Look at Cardale Jones. How many people 
uh, coaches at the FBS level would kill to have that as, you know, Cardell Jones as a starting quarterback. And we're talking about a third-string quarterback here. J.T. Barrett, the backup, who was in Heisman, the, the Heisman running. And Braxton Miller, who really I, I picked as the preseason, was my Heisman favorite. I had Oregon winning it all. I really had Braxton Miller um, actually winning the Heisman Trophy. So it's uh, <laughs> what a what a nice problem to have. And uh, now... You know, we're talking a little bit about movement and what's going on. You know, does Braxton Miller actually transfer? There's been some whispers about that, and, and we've got some late reports as, as well today about Everett Golson actually leaving the Notre Dame program. He could be uh, immediately eligible for, for a place like LSU. So we could uh, be seeing some, some big changes at the quarterback position with some very big names at some very prestigious programs next season. Cardell Jones could win the national championship and end up transferring. Too. He graduated high school like six years ago, so I'm, I don't think he's graduated. But uh, he might be able to finagle some summer classes and then be able to play right away. But I see this as a tryout for him. And then I think uh, Urban Meyer's got, uh, you know, pretty good. He's got his quarterback of the future coming in. But, I mean, if you're Cardell Jones and you win the national championship, there's no one starting over J.T. Barrett. So that should be interesting because he's another guy that can very well transfer. It'll be interesting to see. So let's move on to the NFL. What did you guys think of the games this week? Pretty much what, what, what uh, I think a lot of people expected. Uh, it was it was impressive to see the Cowboys come back. I think that was really the uh, the only game that was uh, entertaining to watch. The rest of them were I don't want to say foregone conclusions by halftime, but you know they were obviously not one score games. But I think the Cowboys game, the last game of the weekend, made up for it. I thought it was a great game. It sets up for a really interesting matchup between Green Bay and Dallas. I was uh, I was very impressed with Baltimore. The fact that uh, more people have to give. John Harbaugh, some of the credit, you know, Jim Harbaugh has gotten so much of the attention and the contract negotiations that went on and what was going to happen with him at, at San Francisco. And, of course, now he's been introduced as the, the coach at, at Michigan and got the huge contract. He's back with his alma mater. We're talking about a guy who six out of seven years has made the playoffs, and every year he's made it, he's won his first game. So Baltimore has never been a one-and-done playoff team. They've won a Super Bowl. Uh, Actually, you go back since the year 2000, only the Patriots have actually won more games than the Baltimore Ravens. And it's just kind of baffling because you never think of them as a superpower. You never think of them as one of those elite franchises. But obviously, they've been doing something right. It's just kind of sticking to the basics. And this was a big win for them because they'd never beaten Pittsburgh in the playoffs. And Pittsburgh, I had said, um, I was a little unsure uh, how things were going to go out with Le'Veon Bell. But with a healthy Le'Veon Bell, that was my pick to, get, to actually represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Um, but I really think that where in the NFC, home field's really going to matter, and it's why I think uh, Seattle will ultimately come out of the NFC. Uh, in the AFC, I, we had a couple good teams that were playing each other in the first round, Seattle and Baltimore. Both are battle-tested. Baltimore's only been you know, in existence since the 90s, and they actually are now tied with the Packers for most career playoff road wins. They've won 10 times on the road. This is a team that knows how to get it done, and they've given the Patriots fits uh, in, in, in the past. So if Baltimore ends up winning another game, it's not really going to be that surprising to me. I, I think the other big story out of this is, is Marvin Lewis actually going to uh, remain with, with Cincinnati? He's been around for so long, and we've said about pulling the, the plug on coaches uh, very early, but you know, Marvin Lewis has been around there a long time, and, and the Bengals have now been in the playoffs four straight years, but Marvin Lewis is now 0-6 in his career. He's never won a playoff game. At some point, even though he's been around a long time and he's enjoyed a lot of success, uh, that, the, the front office has 
going to want to have to see the Bengals go to the next level, and unfortunately they haven't been able to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm with DJ on the Ravens. If you remember a few weeks ago, we were talking right after the Ravens lost the Chargers, and I put the Ravens for my thought version of the power rankings because, like I said, they don't need to be at home to win a playoff game unless it's in Pittsburgh, and they prove they can win in Pittsburgh. If you look at Flacco's playoff numbers, they're crazy. It's like the polar opposite of uh, Andy Dalton. I mean, I, he's like Eli Manning in the playoffs. He's on face. I mean, that's a very, very dangerous team moving forward. Like DJ pointed out, they've had a lot of success in New England. But I'm actually thinking that if the Cowboys can somehow go to Lambeau, that they, they're going to pose a serious, serious threat to Seattle. I think that's the only team in the NFC that can go to Seattle and win with uh, Tony Romo playing the way he's playing and uh, the running game. And, of course, they already did this year. So, uh I mean, I I would I would really like to see that NFC Championship, and uh, I say I mean really don't sleep on the Ravens. I I, I think that's a team that could easily represent the AFC. And, and sometimes we see role players just come up big. They're not the the big guys that really make the headlines or making the the big money or just really notoriety. But real big, one of the guys that I think it's just kind of unsung. He's had a couple of turnovers, and and sometimes that's been overshadowed. But Cole Beasley has made just a huge difference in that that Cowboy offense with Terrence Williams being kind of hot and cold. He's never really been that, that consistent number two. And, you know, he has a couple touchdowns. He's looking a little bit better. Cole Beasley's done a great job on the slot. It's really opened things up for that Dallas uh, passing game. And I really think he's one of the, the real unsung heroes coming down the stretch. And you really got to watch him in the playoffs. He made a couple of very big catches again yesterday, and he really helps open things up for that, uh, for that Cowboy passing game. Just for those unsung heroes that, that I, that I think deserves to be mentioned a little bit more. He's just really come out of nowhere. Terrence Williams, too. I mean, two huge touchdowns. The Cowboys really showed that, A, they can overcome a little adversity in when they're losing, which is something that really the Romo Cowboys really ha- have not shown, especially in the playoffs, and that other players other than Des Bryant can step up. Because Des Bryant was relatively quiet. Yeah, I think what we've seen every year is that teams that peak at the end of the season end up going very far in the playoffs. And one of those teams is obviously Green Bay. Seattle has won the last six. I, I think you can't sleep on the Carolina Panthers only only because they're peaking at the right time. And you just never know with a team that's on that kind of high. You know, they, they ended the season four games in a row. They beat a tough team last week. And um, with Cam Newton, he's just a variable that you can never really prepare for because you never know how tough of a runner he's going to be or how open that field is going to get. Uh, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I've said since Cam came into the NFL that you really can't get rid of him. And the reason why he was in my top ten quarterbacks at the beginning of the year is because consistency is not something that he's ever going to really be known for in his career. But when somebody as talented as him gets hot, it only takes three or four games in the playoffs to win a Super Bowl. I'm not saying they can win a Super Bowl, but I'm saying if Cam's playing well, they're definitely a force to be reckoned with. And with Jonathan Short running like he was, you know, three or four years ago, they got they got a little more balance because at the beginning of the year they were painful to watch. I think if Dallas gets by Green Bay, though, they they have to be the favorite to to win it all at that point because they they're they've just been looking so good um, in the second half of the season that. Uh, Actually, all year. Uh, I mean, they can't. They can't be a favorite though, because I mean, Seattle. I mean, Seattle smokes Green Bay. People would forget how good Seattle has looked. What they've done the last few weeks of the year. I mean, they're the hands-on favorite to win the Super Bowl. We're not mentioning them because it's not, you know, interesting to uh, to mention the team that you know the defending Super Bowl champion. But I mean, if if I have a gun to my head, I'm and I have, my life depends on it. I you, you can guarantee I can guarantee you I'm taking Seattle. Yeah, I, the Seattle is, is definitely my team right now, and. It's really to the point, again, just the more I watch Russell Wilson, I'm just so impressed with 
the decision-making. The guy just takes what the defense gives him. And, you know, if you really gave me a franchise right now with a quarterback to run, and, I mean, the, the most popular answer is always going to be an Aaron Rodgers or someone with those prolific passing numbers. But, I don't know, you'd really have to consider Russell Wilson. Uh, only his third year in the league. And just, just the great decisions that he makes, uh, he's shown that he's very, very versatile, very mobile. The, the fact that he can throw on the run, he can just actually make things happen with his legs. And he led all quarterbacks in rushing this year without really looking to run all of the time. It's just taking what the defense gives him. He's just a, a great tactician and, and just that, that field general mentality where I, I think he, he may be the guy that I would want to start a franchise with at this point. Zach, who would you start a franchise with? i got to go with Luck. Luck just showed that in the playoffs, he's legit. If you remember last year uh, against uh, Kansas City, that comeback, I mean, he's a comeback He's a comeback master, uh, and uh, he doesn't have that defense. So, I mean, he's having to go out there and, you know, drop 30 points a game. And, I mean, no, that's not that's not a knock on Russell Wilson, but, uh, I mean, if I'm building a team, I I take Andrew Luck, or it's between Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers, and then the next year is uh, going to be, you know, Russell Wilson, but it's between Luck and Rodgers. I'd probably end up going with Rodgers just because he's probably the best NFL quarterback I've ever seen. But if it's between somebody out of that draft class, I'd still take luck over Russell. People say, yeah, he has T.Y. Hilton and Kobe Flaner and Dwayne Allen, but they were all drafted pretty much the same year. They all came in with luck. Luck's pretty much groomed them all from the start, and defensively they really haven't been all that excellent. So. And he's and done it without a consistent freak. run game. You're, you're talking about a yeah. guy who's had, I think, it's seven different starting running backs in his tenure. Uh, you know, Ahmad Bradshaw was really kind of brought in there to help stabilize things. He suffered the fibula injury. Uh, they lost Vic Ballard with his Achilles injury before the season began. It's been well documented that Trent Richardson can't get out of his own way or, or you know, block his way out of a paper bag. So he really has not even seen the field. We, we saw some undrafted getting a significant time out there and uh, Boom Heron uh, doing a very good job in the passing game. Uh, he did have a, a big fumble yesterday, but again, overall, it's just a significant upgrade. Um, it's it would be very interesting to see what Andrew Luck would be able to do if he had some type of consistent running game. The fact that he puts up the numbers and shoulders so much of the load with probably one of the five weakest running offenses in the NFL is probably even more impressive. How about wide receivers? I know you never want to start a franchise with a receiver, but um, if you had to if you had to take one guy, and we're gonna expand a little bit to tight ends too, would you go Gronkowski, Des Bryant, or Demarius Thomas? I'd take, I'd take Odell over all of them, and maybe Antonio Brown over all of them, too. I think of the ones you mentioned, I would have to take Des Bryant, but, uh, yeah, definitely no no shame in what, in what does Zach is, is portraying right there. Uh, it's going to be interesting. A lot of people don't realize that uh, Demarius Thomas and uh, Julian Thomas have actually both in option years there for uh, for Denver. So uh, what's actually going to happen? Are they going to be afford, afford to keep both those players around because those are the two most important cogs in that passing game? We could see a real big shift um, with, with what the Broncos were doing. I think that's why we saw them take Cody Latimer out of Indiana so high last year. He hasn't seen the field so much, but I think he's really being groomed because Denver's already kind of getting used to the idea that one of these guys, if not both, could actually walk. I think it's harder to replace a Julius Thomas, a guy that big, a tight end who can also block. Peyton Manning to replace a wide receiver, as we saw last year with him replacing Eric Decker, with uh, Emmanuel Sanders, and it went pretty smoothly. So I think he can do it again. Yeah, well, he lost. Julius Thomas. Julius Thomas isn't like a Gronkowski-esque blocker. I mean, he's not. He's not 
even an exceptional blocker. So I, I think I think Julius Thomas is good. But if you look at everyone that Peyton Manning's had, I mean, he's made all tight ends. He he made you know Dallas Clark look like a Hall of Famer for a few years. No Dallas Clark was good, but Jacob Tammy as well is on a roster who, after Dallas Clark left, he made him look like a all. Yeah, yeah, I was about player. to mention that. Yeah. It made him look like a pro bowler himself. But out of the three you mentioned, I would actually go with Demarius Thomas, even though I think Dez is hands down the most uh, talented. Gronkowski, you, you're always going to have uh, injury concerns. I know that I mean, he was all healthy this year, but uh, just the way he plays and the way he moves and the way he's so big, and you're not even you're not even uh, the least bit inclined as a defender to take him high. I see way too many people diving at his knees. Uh, and, that, and that worries me, especially considering his past injury history. And Des Bryant's just uh, he's a loose cannon. I feel like when things are going great and the Cowboys are having the best season they've had in a while, he's going to be great and he's going to be a catalyst. But as soon as they start going downhill, he's going to he's going to move with the team, you know, in the term in the direction of where the team's going. And with Demarius Thomas, you get somebody that you know, for somebody as good as he is, you really don't hear too much about him. And he's no slouch physically either. You can make an argument that he's the most physically gifted receiver in the NFL. And I, I think I definitely that? want to go back and change, change my answer now. I, I would definitely have to say Rex Burkhead and uh, what he was able <laughs> able to do moving into a starting wide receiver position, essentially with the Bengals and you know not having AJ Green. Uh, you know, give it up for Rex Burkhead. I, I think he actually ended up leading them in receiving. We're talking about a guy who was borderline fullback slash running back and playing a wide receiver of just really shows just how beat up Cincinnati was coming into this playoff game, but hats off to Rex Burkhead. Because they, they're missing Gresham and, uh, and A.J. Green, and Muhammad is a good receiver, but he really needs A.J. Green there to, to be a good receiver, and it made them incredibly one-dimensional not having – I mean, A.J. Green is everything to that team, and if you remember a few years ago in Hard Knocks, like he sprained his ankle during practice, and it was like someone died because the entire team realizes how important he is and why it's always dangerous to base it – all on one player. I mean, when you're missing, you're your easily your best player, and then and then your starting tight ends hurt when you already have you know Eifert who's out for the year. I mean, they were dangerously thin at pass catcher. People think because Mohamed's in a few good weeks that he's like a, a legitimate number two receiver. I mean, I'm not sure if he is. Definitely not a legitimate now, one. Now, do you think if AJ Green and Gresham were were healthy that they would have beat Indianapolis last week? I'm not going to say that they would have beat Indianapolis. But it definitely would have given them a better chance, and that's why I think you got to keep Marvin Lewis around another year because, uh, I mean, he's taken them to the playoffs. I mean, they haven't done much damage in the playoffs, or any damage in the playoffs, but, but they've, been, they've been going to the playoffs, and let's not forget that this is the Bungles, so let's not get crazy. We're not expecting to win Super Bowls in Cincinnati. They've never won one. Yeah, I'm not going to say that they would have definitely beat the Colts, but, I mean, it, they definitely had a much, much better chance. Certainly made things a lot easier for that Indianapolis defense, knowing that they weren't going to have to face an A.J. Green or, or a Jermaine Gresham. Really, really sure it did. It made things a lot easier. And, and as far as scheming, could have been the, the two two guys that just caused just a big, the, the most mismatch uh, there for, for your defense, even though Gresham doesn't put up the monster stats, but he's a very physically gifted receiver and can really cause a lot of havoc. And, and having him and Eifert uh, healthy at the same time, and uh, something that uh, was – was really kind of intriguing when they took Tyler Eifert last year, and unfortunately, I haven't been able to really do that this season. So that, that's an aspect that was sorely missed. But you got to like what they got in Jeremy Hill there, and you, you've got a guy like uh, Giovanni Bernard, who is a pretty good receiver out of the backfield himself. So he's a he's a nice little weapon to have. But they were very just really really handcuffed. Now, when you look at a team like Cincinnati, I mean, you look at their roster, and they are stacked at, at almost every position. They have great depth. They've had some great drafts the last few years. 
and seems that staying healthy is their biggest challenge. Now, going into 2015 NFL draft, where do you see that this team actually needs help? I, I think wide receiver. I've actually got them uh, going receiver a couple times in the first few rounds. I think they, they need some more playmakers, and, and I think at linebacker as well. I think uh, Ray Maluga, he actually uh, left that game and uh, with some injury uh, troubles, and with him and Vontez Perfect, you've got two pretty sure tacklers there in the AFC, but Maluga is another guy who may walk. Um, a little bit thin up uh, up the middle, so I think just kind of shoring up that defensive line, just uh, a little more depth. Uh, the Bengals really had kind of thrived on getting some pressure on the uh, on opposing quarterbacks, and I think 21 sacks. I think they actually finished last in the NFL this year. I'd have to look that up, but they were near the bottom. If not, I think they were the bottom team. So just weren't able to generate that consistent pass rush this year. Wallace Gilberry had a pretty good start to the year, and then just kind of fell apart and didn't really. I don't think he registered a sack in the last 13 or 14 weeks just apparent that they were making a lot of tackles, but they don't have those one or two just real gifted guys along the line that can get consistent penetration. I think they need that kind of playmaker on defense and, and some more playmakers on, on offense at the wide receiver position. A couple of injuries, and you saw how ugly it was. Again, Rex Burkhead was at receiver, and led this team in receiving, I think it was like three catches for 38 yards. I'm a DJ. I say linebacker. I had Shaq Thompson in the uh, the most recent mock draft, but uh, receiver is a definite go out. Like Jared said, when you look at their roster, I mean, they're stacked top to bottom. Uh, I mean, I know you just signed – you gave Dalton big money, but, uh, I mean, maybe consider if if you, like, maybe fall in love with a, with a, a Hunley or something like that. But I, I doubt they'll go that way. I think they're going to get a linebacker to replace Maluga. Well, don't forget they have A.J. McCarron, who they might like. Trust me, I didn't forget A.J. McCarron. A.J. McCarron is going <laughs> nowhere quickly. Well, in my mind, I think I look at their roster, and I think in defensive end, uh, right now we have um, Shalif. Uh, Shalique Calhoun from from uh, Michigan State. I think Carlos Dunlop, in my mind, I remember watching him in Florida and, and, you know, in South and Cincinnati, and he always seemed like he had the talent, but he needed he needed more consistency. And if he became the number one guy this year, it wasn't going to work. So he needs someone who could take, you know, who can dominate on the other side, and he can get his eight to ten sacks a year. So I, I think Carlos Dunlop has it. Marcus Hunt. I don't think is ever going to really turn into much of a pass rusher. Um, you know, if they switch defenses to a 3-4, maybe, or maybe he can come up the middle a little bit more. But their defensive tackle position is so deep right now. I love uh, Pecco and Geno Atkins and Devin Still and Brandon Thompson. Still have a lot of uh, talent. But, yeah, I, I think uh, maybe along the offensive line as well, um, yeah, I know they have Marshall Newhouse, they have Andre Smith who got injured, but Andre Whitworth isn't going to last much longer. You know, at center, Russell Bodine, he played pretty well this year, but is he really a future center for, uh, you know, the next five, ten years? I don't know. A lot of talk about moving Andrew Whitworth actually into the guard position, so taking a tackle, but I think that the Bengals could be one of those guys that maybe overpays for someone in the free agent market. Have to see who's available um, once uh, the free agent signings come around, but I think that that is a that is a position where maybe they they, they spend a lot of money on that tackle and they move Whitworth uh, inside to kind of solidify that interior. Let's, let's look at another team that lost uh, Zach's Pittsburgh Steelers. Zach to this going into this draft, I mean they have a pretty solid team, but they have some old guys who who are thinking about retiring in um, Troy Polamalu, James Harrison. Do you? go after those positions to try to replace them in the draft, or do you go with the young guys and go after other spots? 
Well, the, the Steelers are really never a team to draft on need. Uh, they, they usually the value tends to trump a need. I think James Harrison's gone. I'm not sure about Troy Polamalu yet. It's funny because before the game you would think that Harrison would definitely retire and Polamalu might stay there. But after the game, if you were just going based on what they said after the game, you'd think that Polamalu was going to retire and Harrison was going to come back. But I think that they're going to look for some, something in the defensive line. Uh, Harrison was uh, was brought in to fill in for Jarvis Jones. So if Jarvis Jones keeps progressing, which even though statistically he hasn't been there yet, he's, he's looked all right. It depends really what they do with Jason Worlds. If they re-sign Jason Worlds, if they don't, then they, I mean, they're really going to need a pass rusher. And uh, I would I would personally love for them uh, to go out and get Bud Dupree because that guy's got that guy's a Pittsburgh Steeler written all over him. Uh, but, you know, Malcolm Brown tends to be a popular pick. But I think it's going to be someone in the front seven. If you look at their history drafting, Kevin Colbert's history, they very rarely draft members of the secondary in the first round. In fact, it's, it's only been Paul Malo since he's been there. Uh, they, every year I think they're going to draft a cornerback in the first round, and every single year you'll see, you know, Dark West Denard last year. Uh, it was uh, Marlon Jackson a few years before that, Kareem Jackson before that. Every year you'll come this time of year and you'll scroll down and you'll see the Steelers are projected to pick a corner. They never do. So I say uh, if they don't sign Warlitz, which I think they will, Bud Dupree would be a nice fix. If if they end up signing Warlitz, then I, I think they're going to go somebody like like Malcolm Brown or whatever uh, whatever you know, defensive uh, line, they like, you know, schematically the best. And if they do anything on the offensive ball, I mean, offensive side of the ball, then maybe maybe like a, a Devin Fungus because uh, he's not a traditional Pittsburgh Steeler tight end, but he's a red zone threat. And uh, I'm not saying he'll ever replace Heath Miller because Heath Miller is the consummate tight end in terms of blocking and pass catching, but they'll have that space to fill in. Uh, and that's somebody that's, you know, will be exciting. And then I say from, as a fan, I wouldn't mind them going out and getting like somebody like, say Todd Gurley if he was available because it, it showed they really do need that second back. I know they signed Ben Tate, but you can't give Le'Veon Bell the workload like you gave him the sheriff. He's not going to last. So uh, I mean, I would consider getting somebody to, to spell him. And although you would say, oh, Gurley's kind of similar to Le'Veon Bell, Gurley can return kicks. Uh, and the Steelers really don't uh, – they, they don't need to change the pace. They want to run the ball. They want to wear teams down. And I think he's just a nice fit for that stuff. It's more of a pipe dream than a than an actual prediction. DJ, I did go in I did go in the other direction again. That that is a team that normally does not draft specifically for need, but I had them in the secondary, but not a corner. Best player that I had I had on the board at the time, uh, uh, Gerard Holloman, the the safety out of Louisville. Maybe anticipating needing someone back there, that ball hawk or something that that's probably missing in that secondary. Really, kind of some patchwork back there in the. You can't count on William Gay getting uh, two to three uh, pick sixes every year, which it seems like he's he's just been in the right place at the right time all the time. Pretty good player, but not that all-world guy. Uh, I think when you have a young player like him, a uh, redshirt sophomore who did win the award as uh, the best defensive back, uh, 14 interceptions at the college level, uh, had the uh, the Steelers going crazy, there. and do have uh, them you know going tight in a couple couple rounds later, and then probably looking toward the, the defensive line in the second or third round, similar to what they did last year with uh, with uh, Stephon Tuitt. You know, did come up with that uh, that that fumble. I think we're we're going to see a, a little more of him. He didn't really. Uh, to me, he didn't he didn't play too bad. He wasn't uh, he wasn't great. He wasn't particularly horrible. I think uh, Pittsburgh is is going to show more and more confidence in him this year. So, Holloman if he's available. But it, but yeah, they're they're a team much like Philadelphia. It, it seems like the state of Pennsylvania just has been ignoring the cornerback position for a few years now. So maybe they're just kind of allergic to it. Not quite sure. And, and as for for to it. Uh, 
he'll 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 develop. If you look at any Steelers defense lineman they draft, people would say, "Oh, Cam Hayward didn't play his rookie year," because Steelers really don't play rookies their rookie year, especially on the defensive line. So I think that's something that could emerge next year. DJ, you mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, they're another team that has a pretty good roster, had a good run this year, but didn't make the playoffs. I mean, where where do you see their biggest needs as a franchise going into this draft? Well, it's going to be the secondary as well, but uh, this. This team's always kind of predicated it on on pressure, and it was it was really disappointing this past year them taking Marcus Smith, who it really looked like square peg round hole. You're taking a guy who was basically led the NCAA in sacks, but really didn't fit that system. It was when you really look at the and the draft, and then they hit a home run with Jordan Matthews. It, it would have made more sense taking Jordan Matthews in the first and and Marcus Smith in the second. To me, he was a third or fourth round draft pick. It was uh, pretty frustrating. Um, and Eagle fans, they've seen that in the past. They took Brandon Graham a few years back, who's developed into a pretty good player, but not that not that guy when you're, you're taking him in the top 15 overall, when it all signs look like uh, the, the movement in that draft that they were going to take Earl Thomas and you know how, how things probably could be different in that Eagle secondary if you've got a player like Earl Thomas back there. So uh, it's definitely going to be the secondary, but I think they're going to have to look at the offensive line as well. We saw the success they had two years ago when all of the offense, they the Eagles were one of the few teams that had their entire offensive line intact. Everyone started 16 games. It's something you don't see a lot. And this year they were really kind of banged up. Evan Mathis missed a large chunk. Jason Kelsey missed a large amount of time. You had Lane Johnson actually starting the year on suspension. Jason Peters was the only guy who played every um, started every game for the Eagles. So, and now you look at a guy like Todd Harriman's who got hurt. He's actually the longest tenured Eagle. They've moved in between guard and tackle, and, and I think it's at the point now where they're they're going to look for his long-term replacement. So the Eagles took – I wouldn't be surprised if maybe in the second or third round they take one of the top guards available and really kind of shore up that interior line, make sure they have a little more consistency with that running game. Uh, I think the Eagles would probably look there. I actually have them with A.J. Can, the guard out of uh, South Carolina in the second round, uh, just because uh, I think it's become apparent that they've got to get someone in there for Harriman's and just get a little more depth for that offensive line. It's going to be uh, tough to forecast how they draft because Chip Kelly has really uh, inherited a lot more responsibility. And, and like the Seahawks and, and the Chiefs lately, uh, it, they don't value players like the rest of the NFL value players. They really place a high emphasis on schematic fit. So like you said, with uh, their draft pick last year and like the, like the, the Seahawks every single year, uh, it's really somebody that Chip Kelly thinks is going to work out. And uh, like, like uh, Pete Carroll, I think they're not afraid to go out and draft somebody high for situational football, like like the when the Seahawks drafted, you know, Bruce Irvin, 15th overall, when a lot of people had him, it was like a late second round grade. But you know, for third down, he's a uh, he's a nice player to have. So I think that's uh, it's almost impossible to forecast. But uh, if you if you had to pick somebody, I always have my eye on Oregon players. You know, just touching on last year's draft when they picked Marcus Smith. Um, obviously, we all knew that was a bad pick. But when you look at the defensive end class as a whole, it was probably one of the worst in this past decade. I mean, Clowney went number one. Sure, he's got all the talent. He didn't even play. He barely even played this year. But the second defensive end off the board was D. Ford, and he had a massive injury too. And what did he do this year? So if you're looking for if you're looking for a pass rush and you didn't have an immediate need and you just wanted the best player off the board, I think that's what they did because the next guy was Demarcus Lawrence. Next guy was uh, Stephen Tuitt. Trent Murphy. I mean, none of these guys are really impact guys, but I think they were just kind of shooting in the dark, hoping 
the guy with the most amount of sacks might be able, you know, come in and fit their scheme. But, you know, they were obviously wrong there. I think they saw something. And I think to say that it was a, a weak defensive line class is a little premature. Uh, I mean, if you watched Marcus Lawrence last, uh, at the Cowboys game, I mean, I know he he bought he fumbled the fumble recovery, but he had the game-winning sack and the game-winning recovery. Uh, Two weeks gonna evolve into a, a pretty nice pass rusher. Trent Murphy really, really, really solid for a good portion of the year. So I think I think it's still too early to tell. Coney Ealy stepped in nicely, but it, it's still it's still a little, especially when you have you know right. you know the, the ace of spades and uh, Jadavion Clowney, who who smells like a bus, who really really looks like a bus, but. Uh, you know, it's, it's still too early to, to call him a bus after one year. I'll throw Aaron Lynch in there from San Francisco as well. Former Notre Dame player, absolutely. All the talent in the world. And uh, that's a team that yeah. San Francisco really got bit by the injury bug as well. So getting those uh, later round draft picks, it really paid off. Him and Chris Borland. Where, where was Borland was excellent. Well, I think that was their third and fifth round pick. And no one really expected them to see the amount of time they did. And, and both probably exceeded expectations. Well, while we're on the topic, let's let's go San Francisco. Um, you know, they obviously, as you talked about, they made some great picks late. They've got some great undrafted uh, picks as well. They got hit with a little injury bug, as does every team. Uh, next year, you know, I know we don't know who the coach is going to be yet, but if you were the GM and you didn't have a coach yet, where would you pick? I was going to say, you've got T.D. Johnson there, who's, who's pretty old, uh, Anquan Bolden, who's played well, but he's getting up there. Michael Crabtree might not be a 49er. We saw the regression of Vernon Davis. I mean, there's some other holes there, but really, uh, there, there's not a lot to throw to. So I, I think that it might not be the first-round pick, but they're going to have to take a couple of wide receivers. It doesn't have to be at the top of the board, but they're going to have to get a couple of, couple of targets somewhere. Yeah, they'll be picking as early as they have. I mean, they traded up to get Eric, but they'll be picking as early as they have in a while. And uh, I think defensively, that no matter who they draft, I mean, who, no matter who they take as a coach, schematically, they're going to stay the same because they're they're too equipped not to stay in that. Uh, they have way too many players, you know, to fit that scheme that they run. So I think they definitely need some help in the trenches. Uh, I could see them falling in love with a guy like like Dante Fowler, but uh, a guy that like DJ mentioned, with wide receiver, and I know people that listen to these podcasts probably think I'm the most biased person in the world, which I am, but wait till Devin Smith goes to the combine and people start watching tape of him closely. And the fact is, is yeah, he maybe only have 40 catches, but he's averaging 40 yards a catch. And when the ball is thrown to him, he catches it. He has some of the greatest catches I've ever seen at any Ohio State receiver. So this is a guy that I'm not saying that the, the 49ers take him at uh, – at 15, but this is somebody I could I could see like the Chiefs or, or the Eagles if they, if they decide not to not to sign Macklin going after. So this is a guy that uh, you know she's a big play waiting to happen with with excellent hands. Well, how about the Chiefs? I mean, they were a team that looked like they were on their way to uh, playoff berth this year again, and then they kind of fell apart down the stretch, losing four out of out of the last six. Uh, they still have a pretty good squad, but what do you do there, Zach? How do you add to that? Run? I mean, I mean, you got to go receiver. They didn't a wide receiver didn't score a touchdown this year, and and in their last game, which they played really, really well against a very, very hungry San Diego team, Dwayne Bowe caught a ball, scored. The play was reviewed, and it was overturned, and he fumbled it, and uh, and Travis Kelsey picked it up. So they finished the year without a receiver catching a touchdown pass, which is pretty unheard of. So I think uh, I mean you got to go with with a with a receiver and uh, 
as much as I like Devin Smith and, and in my own personal mind, him going to the Chiefs, uh, I think he doesn't really fit Alex Smith as well. He's somebody that, you know, I think would be better with 49ers with a quarterback that can stretch the field. Uh, I say, you know, if whatever, whatever big wide receiver they fall in love with because they really need someone to catch balls in the red zone. The fact that they don't have touchdowns on the receivers this year is just ridiculous. Couldn't agree more. That's why I had Devontae Parker being the guy for the Chiefs. I think it's, it's really kind of a Devontae Parker or like a Kevin White from West Virginia. One of those two probably seems like the most logical. Maybe Jalen Strong if he's still there. But I think Parker will go ahead of Strong. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, if it's not wide receiver, they go secondary. I mean, with Eric Berry's career kind of in jeopardy right now, um, you know, you don't know what's going to happen at safety. And I think their cornerbacks could use some upgrades as well. Um, so I, I wouldn't mind the pick there. I mean, Kansas City is at number 18. So I know we had Holloman um, at 22 or Marcus Peters. I know he's got some character concerns, but if he really – if he shows well, he might he might jump up the draft boards. Uh, so let's go on to another team. Uh, let's talk about another team that does not have a coach right now, does not have a first-round pick, is Buffalo. If you're a coach and you know they don't have a first-round pick and you can really only improve your team with uh, you know two uh, second, third round, I think they gave up their fourth round and fifth, sixth, and seventh, you know, what can you do with those picks? Uh, to upgrade that roster, DJ? Well, there's a couple of, of holes. They're not really glaring, glaring holes. I think the Kyle Orton retirement, people have been saying how that's such a surprise, but it's a guy who would have retired before. I don't know how much of a surprise this is. I think just overall at the linebacker position, uh, I think a, a, a nice playmaking tight end I think would go a long way, whether it's going to be E.J. Manuel or another quarterback in there. Having that safety blanket. Uh, they, they've got that kind of right now, just but just in the red zone. I think just an athletic tight end, someone that you can kind of split out and be that dual threat, I think could go a long way in that Bills offense. I mean, to say that they whiffed last year with uh, Sammy Watkins isn't necessarily true, but, I mean, they, I've read that that's a huge reason why uh, uh, Doug Marone left. Because, I mean, if you look, they, they gave up their first-round pick to move up five spots, and they could have drafted Odell Beckham at nine. So uh, to lose your first-round pick on somebody like Watkins, who was, you know, a pretty surefire pick, but when you have possibly the deepest receiving class in the history of the game, they're coming off a rough year where they, I mean, they need to, I mean, they need a lot. They, uh, I mean, it says everything when in the NFL where it's tough to keep a job and your coach leaves. I mean, they whiffed on E.J. Manuel. Uh, Kiko Alonso is a question mark coming back from injury. Watkins was a great pick, but... uh, you also have to worry about the durability of their running backs. But with them picking in the second round, I'd, I'd say uh, to look at running back or, like like you said, maybe, maybe a tight end. Yeah, so what do you do at quarterback for Buffalo? I mean, you know, is there a second-round pick that at, at number 51 will be good enough to start for them? Or is there a free agent next year that will be good enough to start for them at quarterback? I think the second round's kind of no man's land. Uh, I think the only one I had going in the second round near the top would be Brett Hundley. I'm not really sold on him, but he looks to be that quarterback. We always see it where someone kind of trades up at the end of round one. Those teams in the second round don't want to take the chance that they kind of wait around for that quarterback thinking he's going to be there, and someone kind of jumps up and snaps it from him. So there's always a quarterback where it just seems like they, they trade at the end of round one, and I think Hundley's probably going to be that guy this year. And then uh, just a couple of guys in the third round. So – 
I, I really think it's kind of no man's land. In the third round, I actually had them taking a running back. I actually had Duke Johnson, the uh, the running back out of uh, the University of Miami, uh, because I think getting that durable, that guy. They've, Buffalo hasn't been bad running the ball, but it, it's it's been kind of by committee, or it's been Fred Jackson, C.J. Spiller, when C.J. Spiller's uh, not been hurt. And then sometimes when he, he does play, he puts up a couple hundred-yard games, and he's got like 10 carries for 14 yards. It's just very, very inconsistent. So having – the guy in, in Buffalo would be a very, very good thing. They're not going to find anybody this year. They're just going to have to do what they did this year uh, with Kyle Lauren and just find someone to fill in. And I'm looking at the the list of potential free agent people like, you know, Brian Hoyer, Mark Sanchez, Jake Locker, Cole McCoy. I mean, these are, you know, the premier names on the list. So I say uh, maybe you go out and you get somebody uh, like Hoyer. I think, I think Brian Hoyer would be a nice fit in, in Buffalo. And if not Hoyer, then... I know he, he's up and down, but somebody, somebody like Mark Sanchez, because from a down standpoint, there's really no one else, unless you want to take a shot on somebody like Austin Davis, who only signed a one-year deal, or maybe you think Jake Locker's got a, a chance to revive his NFL career, but it's got to be somebody that's just uh, going to fill in for a year like Orton, and then maybe you maybe draft a, a project later on, but it depends who the quarterback is. I mean, it depends who the uh, the new coach is. The interesting thing is the Texans making their move for Ryan Mallett, or they've got Tom Savage kind of waiting there. If they do something at the quarterback position, Brian Fitzpatrick could be cut loose. It could be a reunion. Uh, bring Brian Fitzpatrick back to Buffalo. I mean, that actually could be the best scenario for him, uh, just kind of like a homecoming. He wasn't awful. I mean, we've seen him have some pretty big games. He's just not that, that franchise guy you want to entrust your, your franchise with for a few years, but he's a guy that you can do patchwork with for a year or two. I, I think that maybe, uh, again, that's if, if Houston does go in that direction. There's some speculation that maybe they cut him loose and they go with that that Ryan Mallett or that Tom Savage or do something else with the quarterback position. I think had Connor Cook come out, that would have been a great team for him to go to and actually uh, learn under Bill O'Brien. So if if Ryan Fitzpatrick does get cut, don't be surprised if he ends up back in Buffalo. Sorry, Buffalo fans. I know that's not what you want to hear, but uh, might be the best option for next year. RG3. Good point. Now, that would be Very an interesting point. scenario. That's something that I, I could see. I mean, if if anything, just to get a name there to make it look like you're trying to get a franchise QB. But I mean, that's somebody that, uh, and I, I think there's other players like that out there where uh, they're not upcoming free agents. But I mean, they're just making way too much money next year on on programs that are rebuilding to warrant you know their salary. So you'll see people like RG3 out there. And for some reason, just in my dreams, I've seen RG3 in a Buffalo Bills jersey. Uh, it could be. And the only other, if they if they go the veteran route, the only other one I could see, there's some talk that Carolina gets another quarterback to put behind Cam Newton. It is a contract year for Eric Anderson, another guy who, he's been to the Pro Bowl, had a couple good seasons. Also, uh, don't sleep on somebody like Josh McNown being available, because with the Bucks having the first overall pick, that's pretty much a foregone conclusion that they're going to go after uh, Mariota. For uh, Winston, and then and then you have Mike Glennon, a very serviceable backup. So uh, I mean, you know, maybe you go after Jay Cutler. Maybe I mean, there's there, there's going to be some uh, some musical chairs with Premier, and I use that not, not um, franchise, and I use that word very loosely. Quarterbacks, but Josh McNown's another name that could be out there, and Jay Cutler's another name that could be out there. Even though I don't see Jay Cutler really fitting in Buffalo. So tired of hearing Josh McNown as uh, some team's answer going into the year and them ending up you know, below 500. But speaking of quarterbacks at the top of the draft, I, I think we should touch on this because they've been jumping around each other. Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. Zach, I know you had Jameis Winston as number one. And DJ, I think 
you're starting to agree with him. Zach, why don't you sell us on Winston over Mariota right now? Uh, well, Mariota hasn't taken a snap from under center. Uh, he hasn't really been incredibly clutch. I mean, it's it's completely different when you go from playing in Oregon, which is like 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 arena football, where you're, you're never taking a snap under center and and you're just you're you're flinging the ball around. Not not unlike uh, RG three. It's hard to uh, discount him because his decision making has been just absolutely incredible this year. But from and and from a, you know from a pro quarterback perspective, I just I like the way that. Uh, uh, Winston translates better to me. He he looks and moves like like Andrew Luck. He makes incredibly good decisions. He has really really good anticipation. He's got incredibly good touch. I think he's he's gonna grow up a little bit. And we've talked about this, like you know, his off the field stuff. It's hard it's hard to ignore. But he is a guy that unlike uh, uh, Johnny Mantel, he's just passionate about sports, and that's the reason why. It is still, in my mind, not a foregone conclusion that he leaves because he's been saying the whole time. He's saying for another year. He's he's looking forward to next season and he enjoys playing baseball. So that would really uh, throw, uh, you know, especially the Titans or another, you know, any quarterback team at the top of the draft for a loop and it would make the Bucks decision real easy. But uh, you know, I like him uh, for all those reasons. It's just more of a pro style offense and. I think I made the comment a couple of shows ago. I've never seen someone who makes so many bad decisions off the field be so good on the field with just his football intelligence. I mean, people are going to point to the fact that the interceptions are up. But at the same time, he's, you know, he's just trying to make a lot of plays. Uh, it's, and what you like is when he goes out there and makes a mistake, he's just back out there slinging it. He doesn't, he doesn't shy away from anything. He seems to know the flow of the football game when it, when he just has to take a back seat and kind of hand it off went with, with Dalvin Cook being so good down the stretch and really kind of riding that running game and just putting in a, a good pass or two. Whether, and, and it's not always going for the home run. It's, it's moving the chains with a, a quick pass to Nick, uh, Nick O'Leary or uh, one of the other uh, players on the outside. It's he just another guy just takes what the defense gives him. He, his football intelligence is just way beyond where it should be for, for a guy who's really – you know, he's a sophomore. I mean, a lot of people got to forget that uh, he's got two more years at the college level if, if he wants to stay for both of those years. And just the fact the way he's able to look off receivers, he, he doesn't get rattled. He doesn't always just throw to the first back or, or try to force something in there or throw the ball away. He's a guy who takes his progressions. He'll look at his third and fourth receivers, and he's just very patient, even though he's not a kind of Ben Roethlisberger-esque. I mean, he's not the, the prettiest guy back there running the ball, but when he has to do it or move around the pocket, the guy can do it. So he's got everything that you're looking for. It's like Zach said, it's just growing up a little bit, and obviously he's going to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, that's going to worry if, or a few teams with just some of the, the amount of bad decisions that he's made. But uh, you, you just got to look at the tape. The tape don't lie. He's a big guy. He's been very durable. And, um, you know, again, it's not – not that he doesn't want to be out there. He he just wants to win. That that that's really what he's about. And you got to like the attitude. He, it's just all about winning for him. Doesn't matter if he's ten for forty or thirty one for thirty two. He, he goes out there and wins the game. Mission accomplished. Now I think if Lovey Smith stays, you have to ask yourself one question: Who would he want to work with more? And I think after the Jay Cutler experience, he might want a more agreeable quarterback. And that's not to say Winston isn't. But with the concerns uh, that is off the field behavior has created, 
they might want more of a quote-unquote clean type prospect in Marcus Mariota, someone who could work with Lovey Smith a little better. And also just the, the fact that there's not as many holes on that Tampa team that, that many people think. Usually when you've got a team that's picking number one overall, you're, you're talking about a team that's got holes at multiple areas or kind of like the Raiders where just anywhere they, they need help. There's a lot of teams picking in the top ten that I think are, quote, in worse shape than the Buccaneers are. Don't be surprised if this team wins at least six games or even more next year, regardless of who they pick. It's not a horrible roster, and they've got a game-proven coach, someone who's been to the Super Bowl. Tampa's in deep. They're in decent shape. I'd say for a team picking first overall, maybe maybe the best shape uh, we've seen any team in, in that position the last five to six years. This is a team that can easily win the NFC South next year. If Winston does go back to school and – Tampa Bay takes Mariota. You know, Tennessee, they're another team with a decent roster, but without a real, you know, real sure thing at quarterback. Do you go with Mettenberg or do you try for another quarterback? What do you do there, uh, DJ? Trade for Cutler. Yeah, you, you get someone through the free agent market or you just get a playmaker on defense. They've got Jarrell Casey, who to me is one of the most underrated defensive linemen in the NFL because there's no one around him. Uh, you ask any other avid NFL watcher to name another starter on the Titans' defense other than Jarrell Casey or even on the, the defensive line, 50% of the people out there aren't going to have an answer for you. There, there's just nothing. They don't have a playmaker in the secondary. Uh, someone along, and Casey puts up remarkable stats and is really a forgotten man, but the team's just key on him so much. He needs some help along that line. Just at the linebacker, they, they just need a playmaker on defense. And I think if uh, Mariota does go back and, and that there's no real quarterback quote for them to take at that, that number two spot, why not stay with Mettenberger, get your guy maybe a year or two down the road and try and get that playmaker on defense that you can groom. Maybe a player like a Randy Gregory, like a Shane Ray, uh, like Leonard Williams, who uh, might not be that, that instant pass rusher, but to me he's, he's still the best player available in this draft, regardless of just overall talent. Leonard Williams to me is the best player in the whole draft. Why not take him at number two? They need, they just need a playmaker on defense. Yeah, I love the Leonard Williams pick. He's he's probably the highest rated prospect by most people that evaluate prospects. And even if uh, Winston or Mariota's there, I mean, if they have plans to get Cutler, because I mean, they definitely got uh, the cap space to do it. Uh, I mean, Leonard Williams is a slam dunk pick, really, no matter who's drafting, because there's not a single team in the NFL that's like, oh, we don't need, you know, Leonard Williams. Even the Rams, you know, Leonard Williams would fit. So. You know, teams with incredible uh, depth to defensive line. He fits any scheme. Put him anywhere on defense and your team's going to be better. We went through a lot of teams that were eliminated from the playoffs. We talked about uh, Pittsburgh. We talked about Cincinnati. We talked about teams that just missed out, like Philadelphia, Kansas City, and Buffalo. Uh, let's talk about a few more teams that lost. And let's, let's go to Detroit. Uh, what does Detroit need, Zach? Uh, uh, Detroit, to me... Doesn't need much, but and, and Golden Tate filled it nicely for that for that receiver opposite Calvin Johnson had a nice compliment to him, and they got Ebron. We'll see how he develops. But in my personal mock draft, I had Melvin Gordon slipping them, and if Melvin Gordon's there at twenty three, that's somebody that that I would consider just because he's a playmaker. And I know that Joyce Bell and Reggie Bush had their moments, but all in all, their uh, their offense wasn't uh, you know incredibly balanced. Uh, there were times where they were throwing it way too much. 
Uh, I'd say I'd say him or get somebody uh, like uh, like Trey Wayne, just because he makes perfect sense because you know, he wouldn't be traveling far from uh, from East Lansing, you know, to play cornerback. Uh, well, I actually had them with Eddie Goldman just because I think this is going to be necessitated. It's all going to come down to Endomic and Sue, and unfortunately, I don't think Detroit's going to be able to keep him. We saw how emotional he was after the game yesterday. I think he even realizes that the writing's on the wall. Nick Fairley has, you know, missed a large a large chunk of this year, and injuries have really plagued him in his his young career. So I think just a player of Indomitian Sue's stature, if he walks, that I mean, that's the guy who you really is kind of the centerpiece for that defense. So unfortunately, I think that the we're really going to have to wait to see if if they re-sign him. I, I think that that's really going to dictate where they go because if Indomitian Sue walks, there's a very good possibility they try and draft his replacement. They go after an Eddie Goldman. They go after an, a Michael Bennett. Maybe even Eric Armstead, who you were talking about, if he slips into the first round, that's a team where I could possibly see him going. Um, I think that if he does leave and, and makes the big money on the free agent market, they would almost have to immediately replace him or get another blue-chip prospect that they hope can groom into someone even close uh, to what he's done for that franchise for five years. I really like uh, Michael Bennett. That's a really good call. Cause I, I didn't think that – I think uh, it'll be – they'll be hard-pressed to have Goldman slip that far. Uh, but Michael Bennett is somebody that isn't going to blow you away at the combine. He's not, That's not a guy that's going to increase uh, his value at the combine. So that I think that's going to be a really nice deal. And obviously, I sound like a broken record because – but I, I know the Ohio State players closely. And, uh, I mean, this is a, this is a guy that uh, – really has some football football intelligence was recruited as a guard to Ohio State and has made the transition nicely. So he's only been playing D tackle for, for a couple of years. Yeah, Zach, I think you'd go Michael Bennett one, Devin uh Devin Smith two and um and no Spence. No Spence. <laughs> yeah, no Spence. Wait till wait till next year when they got Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, Jalen Marshall, Paul yeah. Miller. I mean they're have a lot of people coming out next year. And I know you're probably thinking, oh, we don't want to hear about the Buckeyes, but I'm telling you, if there's one team to have somebody harp on, it's the Buckeyes. Because this is not only a team that's playing for the national championship, a team that I, I thoroughly believe will win the national championship. But this team next year that's going to have, uh, I'm going to guess, eight to ten people drafted in the first two rounds. Well, there's I, a lot of Michigan fans who listen to this who don't want to hear about Ohio State anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know I, what? I, I already do. I want to hear. <laughs> Michigan. Well, I, I've already I'm been thinking about the, the top teams for next year. And – to me, in my head, the two teams that I would I would say, regardless of what happens in the national championship game, obviously it's Ohio State, or believe it or not, it's TCU. TCU is a lot of people coming back. Boykin will be back. I think one of those two teams probably starts out as the number one team next year. Me, right now, just on a preliminary, just off the top of my head, it's Ohio State or TCU. I'm going to go with uh, with uh, with Ohio State, but then don't sleep on uh, the tr- the transfers because the transfers are going to really have a let's say next year, if somebody like Braxton Miller transfers, uh, that's what I'm talking about, that's going to really change the landscape. But to me, it's Ohio State's a no-brainer at number one, especially with Alabama, uh, you know, changing quarterbacks. And then uh, if if I had uh, to pick a number two, I'd say it's uh, still Alabama. I think yeah, USC is the type of team that might, you know, be uh, right on the verge of taking off again. And I think they could – really do a number in the Pac-12 and see themselves and end up in the top five next year. So I was going to go one more team. Let's go to the Arizona Cardinals just to wrap up the teams that got knocked out of the playoffs. Obviously, they need a they need a healthy quarterback, so they signed Carson Palmer to a contract during the season, which, once again, 
they prove it was a big mistake to sign during the season. And they have Drew Spen uh, behind him, and then Ryan Lindley and Logan Thomas. Uh, what does Arizona need on their roster? I say that uh, I uh, they, they they stay pat with the quarterback situation. They're they're pretty I have dead them. at a lot, a lot of places. Um, but I, I think another offensive threat. I actually had Devin Funches going there. I, I think a, a big a big tight end slash a wide receiver. I think would really behoove them, and, and it, it's really going to be a, a mystery to see what uh, what's going to happen with Larry Fitzgerald. There's a lot of talk that maybe he'll be back, restructuring his quarter uh, his uh, contract. And maybe he he comes back, but I'm not so sure about that. Or if he does, maybe he gets traded to another team. And uh, Michael Floyd, you know, good receiver, but is he a true number one? I don't think so. You like what you see out of John Brown, but I think that it's, it's going to be strength in numbers if a Larry Fitzgerald walks, get another uh, a target in there, and and bolster the offensive line a little bit because that defensive line is is in pretty good shape. They've got a lot of guys under contract. Elias Campbell is. A, just an unsung here at the NFL level as well, and he's he's really developing uh, into to one of the premier playmakers in the NFL right now. I have them uh, going after uh, Denzel Perryman. I think he's not, this is a guy that can step right in right away and start for them, and uh, and it fills a need. And it might be a little high, especially when you're looking at him. You know, he's under six foot. He's like 245 pounds, 250 pounds. He looks a little, a little slow, but I think he fits the team nicely. And I think uh, offensively, they're pretty set. And if, if they have to go anywhere offensively, get somebody like Melvin Gordon or, or uh, maybe T.J. Elton in the second round because uh, they have Andre Allington. But I, I think somebody like Melvin Gordon or Todd Gurley would be a really nice compliment. And, even with Andre Ellington, they, they were one of the worst teams when it came to running the ball, and that's something that you you got to be able to do, no matter who you are. Yep, uh, Mike Davis from South Carolina would fit there. Even if you, you want to go at the end of round one, maybe even a Tevin Coleman, a uh, guy out of uh, Indiana, another 2,000-yard rusher, uh, I, I think that there's – you know, they've, they've been searching for running back there for a long, long time in Arizona. So, uh, obviously, that would provide a lot of stability to that offense as well. But they're they're pretty – they're pretty thin at some of the skill positions all along the offensive line. There, there's been a lot of juggling, uh, kind of a patchwork uh, along that offensive line as well. So the, there's a few holes there. But the defense, other than, than maybe, again, playmaking linebacker, it is a little high for Perriman, but is it a need? Absolutely. That, that would be a good situation if Arizona really wanted to acquire maybe another draft pick and maybe if they could target a player like him if uh, they think he could still be around and kind of move back and get an extra pick. That would be a, a wonderful pick for them. It really hit a home run with uh, Dion Buchanan uh, in the secondary. Uh, put him with some of the, the playmakers, Patrick Peterson back there, Matthews. Uh, Aaron Matthews has really seemed to be, I wouldn't say a model citizen, but I mean he, he's kept his nose clean. He's done pretty pretty well since coming back from injury. So uh, so I think that there's there's some playmakers back there. So and don't forget about Camardi. Uh, I mean Camardi for, oh, yeah. for years has been just there when you need him. Absolutely, and that, that guy's playing for paychecks because uh, he's got uh, too many kids. Uh, there's too many mouths to feed there. So Antonio Cromartie wants I mean, to uh, well, nine kids. Nine kids isn't, isn't that many. You know? He can't. He can name six. Alright, so I think that's all for tonight, Zach. Any last thoughts? Yeah, obviously, all my last thoughts go Buckeyes. And uh, I just, if anyone, if anyone's listening, Oregon's jersey choice is just 
disgraceful to me because like watching the Celtics and the Lakers or Ohio State and Michigan, color contrast is so important. When you have a beautiful color contrast, like green and orange going against scarlet and gray, and you ruin it, please just go look at the jerseys that they're going to wear. They're all white and gray. It doesn't make sense to me. It looks like an Ohio State away jersey. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be pulling for Oregon just because that, that was my preseason pick. But if anything, I do want to say thank you to – for having the college playoff, because think if we not been in this situation, where I think a lot of people would have said, "Well, you got to put Florida State there because they're undefeated." It was Florida State, Bama, and a lot, and a lot of people would have said Alabama. They're they're the best one loss team out there. And look, they're the two teams that lost. So had this playoff not been instituted, we wouldn't be talking about Ohio State or Oregon as the national champion because I don't think either one of them would have even smelled the the national title game. Definitely not Ohio State. <laughs> My last thoughts are going to be a basketball trade that just happened. Apparently, Deion Waiters is going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, great shooting guard backup uh, for the future. I think they're trying to rectify getting rid of James Harden. Jared Smith, Iman Shumper going to the Cavs, giving them great depth uh, with LeBron James out a little bit. Um, what are the Knicks? Uh, I'm going to the, Knicks? the Knicks get a bunch of contracts that are non-guaranteed that they can – basically wave. So I think they're yeah. sort of throwing the towel a little bit, try to clear some space, knowing Amari is up next year. And uh, I don't know, maybe trade Carmelo or maybe not. Try to build around him once again. Uh, a great, what a great move. What a great move. You know that LeBron didn't like Deion Waiters. So that's why he's gone. Yeah, exactly. No, no one wanted Deion Waiters. I mean, he didn't get along with Irving. Uh, he just, he just wasn't, he was just never a good fit on the Cavs. So yeah, he was getting in fight out with did. Josh Gordon. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, thanks everyone for joining today. Zach, DJ, thanks for coming on. And we'll see you all next week. All right, take it easy, guys. Bye.